Today's episode is presented by Purple Carrot. Purple Carrot is the plant-based subscription meal kit that makes it easy to cook irresistible meals to fuel your body. Each week, choose from an expansive and delicious menu of dinners, lunches, breakfasts, and snacks. Every box is an opportunity to learn and experience something new with easy recipes and fresh pre-portioned ingredients. No shopping, no food waste, just globally inspired, restaurant quality, plant-based meals. Get $30 off your first box by going to purplecarrot.com and entering code PODGO30 at checkout today. That's PODGO30 for $30 off your first Purple Carrot box. Purple Carrot, easiest way to eat more plants. Hello, and welcome to Ye Old Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me is my sister and co-host, Maddie Sangle. Hello. Hi. How's it going? It's going. Happy post-Christmas. Happy post-Christmas to you as well. Doesn't it feel good that it's over now? Yes, it does. Yeah. And now we can, like tinker with the stuff that we got Mm -hmm. and eat delicious leftovers and not have to worry about making food for like three days Mm -hmm. i was also gonna say happy early new year yes yeah thank you happy early new year to you as well okay so quick correction cubby Uh before we start so i noticed when i was listening to the audio that for whatever reason, when we were recording last week, I either had a really bad bout of allergies or something just wasn't like hitting me right because I was blowing my nose constantly. I was you were cough- coughing a lot. I was coughing a lot. So like, obviously, because I cut out the coughing, my voice just like progressively got worse and worse. So towards oh, the end of it, no. I just sounded like an elderly, crotchety old woman who was like telling people a story at the fireside. I mean, that's kind of our brand. I mean, yeah, but old. So I apologize for sounding like I was going to give you a poison apple. What's the story this week since uh, this is the last of this murder? This is the last of this murder. Mercember. Which just sounds like mermaids. It does. And sounds kind of cuter. So yeah. this murder. Da-da-da. <laughs> <laughs> We are going to be talking about Mary Ann Gearing. Okay. I feel like I've heard that name before. You probably have. I feel like a lot of ladies who kill people have the name Mary Ann, and then their last name just changes. Because <laughs> there was Mary Ann Cotton, now there's Mary Ann Gearing, and I'm sure mm-hmm. there's some other Mary Ann out there who also killed people. Yeah. Let's get into it. Okay. So information was pulled from the following sources, and I didn't have a whole lot for this one. She was kind of hard to find information on. Mm -hmm. Tends to be that way the older it is, too. Yeah. So she was a woman. She was a woman. There weren't great records. But the sources where I did find information, they were very helpful. So awesome. A 2020 Sonia Genealogist and Family History article. 2015 Atlas Obscura article by Luke Spencer, 2015 
Mental Floss article by Miss Selenia, a 2008 Sussex OPC article, and Murderpedia. There you go. When in doubt, Murderpedia. I think this is the shortest source list that I've had in a long time. Yeah. Usually there's like eight or ten. (laughs) (laughs) So this one went pretty fast. There you go. And links to all these articles will be included in the show notes. Let's dive into it. Marianne Gearing would eventually be known as the Gastling Murderess and the Murdering Mother. Ooh, Murderess. Yes. I like that. Yeah. Because you couldn't, she wasn't a male murderer. She was a murderess. Murderess. I don't know why they did that. Like, same with, like, actress. Mm Mm-hmm. And how everybody's like, can't we just be called actors? Mm Mm-hmm. They're putting that floofiness on the back of it some people like the floof i get it you know you can have your floof they're like comedians with the i-e-n-n-e-s you got one job it's garbage garbage all right so marianne gearing whose maiden name was plum with a b marianne plum i know it's so cute it is cute how quickly it got dark Yes. It's just all down really there. hard to, to not be as cute as her name. She was born the eldest of five children in 1800 into an agricultural family and grew up in the parish of Westfield. She worked as a housekeeper for her parents while they worked the fields until she came of age when she was sent to become a maid at a larger home. Actually, that's kind of a nice deal. I was waiting for her to be a heavy laborer outside. I guess at this point in time and in the area where um, they live, because she lives in, or where this took place was in East Sussex, which is in Southern England, which Mm -hmm. I will explain later down in my notes. But um, it was very common for women who were from like lower class families to um, be sort of like farmed out to middle and upper class families to be servants of some sort. Okay. And that was actually yeah. something you wanted to aspire to because then you know you would be taken care of and have a roof over your head. Right. And stuff like you'd that. have you'd have a place to sleep, something mm-hmm. to eat. Yep. You'd be guaranteed. Yep. And honestly, like I'd rather clean all day and get yelled at every now and then as opposed to like being in the sun or the cold outside. And hoping to God that nothing happened to your crops or your livestock. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because then there would be probably more than yelling. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so not not the greatest start, but, you know, okay. Yep. While she was employed there, she met Richard Gearing, who was a farmer from East Sussex, and the two married at Westfield Parish Church on December 27, 1816, upon discovery that she was pregnant at the age of 17. I was just going to say, she was really young. Mm-hmm. Shotgun wedding. Yep. The first of their eventual 10 children was born just three months later. So she was like soups pregnant. This so she, wasn't she, just like tiny bump pregnant. This was like, it's a common pregnant. Yeah, like <laughs> she, she wouldn't have been on the, oops, I, I was pregnant show. Yep. <laughs> like, oh, dang. Yeah. 10 children. Yeah. I feel so bad that they were so fertile. Yeah. They purchased a cottage in the peaceful village of Gessling, a small community located in Sussex 
on the southern coast of England where Richard worked as a laborer. Okay, so a laborer instead of a farmer then. Yep. Okay, so probably a little bit more money? Yep, it's just like the next tier up from farming. Okay. So not poor by any means, but like not wealthy either. I mean, he he would be poor with 10 children in that job. Yeah, but... Absolutely. Yeah. But like, good start. Good with one. Yeah, but not destitute. So, like last week. Lower middle class. Lower middle class, yes. They could afford to have a home. Yeah. And feed their brood of children. <laughs> Literal brood. Oh my <laughs> God. At some point, they moved house to Gasling Green, where Richard secured employment. And for the next 30 years, they lived in a tiny cottage with their brood, where Mary spent her time raising their children, which included yes. Jane who was born in 1817, William, born 1820, James, born 1822, Alban, born 1825, George, born 1827, Benjamin, born 1831, Edwin, born 1833, Marianne, with an E, born 1836, Andrew, born in 1839, And finally, Peter, who was born in 1842. Like, that's really nicely spaced out. Yeah, it's like every two to three years. Yeah. Like, they planned it. Just as you're getting one out of nappies, you're like... Which is impressive, like, because contraception, you know, is against everything, Mm -hmm. essentially. And, and like, kind of not in existence. Mm -hmm. So, like, good on them for being consistent. That's crazy. Mm Mm-hmm. Unless it was like, we only have sex every two years. (laughs) In which case, bummer. (laughs) Time to pop out another one. Don't touch me. (laughs) You got two more years, Richard. (laughs) That would be a really happy new year. (laughs) Bring in the new year. I guess you can touch me again. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) You got nine months to enjoy it. Yep. Before I'm cutting you off again. Right? In 1846, Mary's oldest son, William, lost his wife to consumption, also known as tuberculosis. So he and his three children moved home to live with his parents. And how many children did she still have at home at the time? So if it was 46, probably at least half. I think at least half, because four of them would have been old enough where they would not have been living at home. Yeah. Like either working at a house. Or married or... Yeah. So technically five of them would have been out of the house before William and his children moved in. Still, five out, three, four in. Yeah. Bit of a bummer. Yeah. In September of 1848, Richard suddenly fell ill. A local physician named Dr. John Lucas Pocock was called... (laughs) I know. I love it. And I get to say it a lot in the story, which makes me excited. Dr. Pocock? Pocock. (laughs) That's how I wrote it phonetically. (laughs) Was called to their home when he complained of chills, abdominal pain, difficulty breathing, and excessive sweating. Wow, that sounds like poison. (laughs) What? What? I mean, almonds, marzipan. (laughs) Mouse booter. Dr. Pocock diagnosed Richard with an intermittent fever, and after being called two days later, the London Times is quoted as saying that when he spoke to Mary, she, quote, informed me that her husband was dead, 
that he died about a couple of hours before I was called. I expressed my surprise, end quote. Interesting. And then, Mm -hmm. like, not calling him for two hours? Yeah, just to make sure he's actually dead before you call the doctor. I just wanted to make sure he was dead before I called you. (laughs) I didn't want you to waste the trip. What? From his first symptoms to his time of death, his illness spanned only five days, and on September 13, 1848, Richard passed at the age of 56 with the cause of death listed as heart disease. I know it says just five days, but that would have been the longest five days of his life. Yes. That's yes. awful. That mm-hmm. would have been so painful and just nasty. Yeah. Cool. All right. Next. <laughs> Next. <laughs> just a few months later, in December of 1848, Mary's middle son, George, age 21, began to suffer from symptoms eerily similar to those of his late father, including a raging thirst. Upon calling once again on Dr. Pocock, he complained of, quote, having heat on his inside, end quote. You know, funnily enough, I I almost wanted to be like diabetes, but like, (laughs) because like sometimes you do get a sour stomach and have intense thirst. But like, no, it's probably poison. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You have an extreme case of diabetes. (laughs) (laughs) A very violent case of diabetes. (laughs) Which probably could have existed then. Probably it could have. And even though his mother tended to him during the day and his brother James cared for him at night, George passed just three days later on December 27th. On her wedding anniversary. Wow. Cool. George's older brother, James, who was age 26, fell ill just six weeks after George's funeral, later passing from his sickness on March 6, 1849. Just three weeks after James' unfortunate passing, young Benjamin, aged 18, started suffering from unnatural hunger and bouts of vomiting on Easter Sunday. So she doesn't like men that she's made specifically. I think she only had two daughters. Wow. Her first child and then her second to last child for girls. That's okay. At this point, you can imagine that Dr. Pocock was starting to get suspicious of all the unnatural deaths occurring in such rapid succession. You know, I'm a little disappointed that he didn't do it sooner, but like, sure. I mean, people died of a lot of stuff back then. Yeah. But, I mean, after the fourth one. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so far, three have died. Plus the husband. No, Benjamin's just sick. He hasn't hasn't died yet. Okay. And that's important. (sighs) Yeah. He was suspicious (laughs) of all the unnatural deaths that that occurred in such rapid succession at the Gearing household especially due to the same symptoms cropping up over and over again. Yeah, is this a new disease? <laughs> so Dr. Pocock, along with a fellow physician named Dr. Ticehurst, called on Benjamin, and after altering his diet, the young man started to improve. Due to their suspicions that he was being poisoned by his mother, they took Benjamin under their care to better monitor his health and so they could investigate without further putting his life in danger. Nice. To confirm their suspicions, the doctors had the bodies of Richard, George, and James exhumed from Gasling Cemetery. Unlike today, where a jury isn't called until the start of a trial, 
a jury was sworn in and accompanied the doctors to the cemetery to witness the exhumation. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And, like, helpful and damning at the same time. Yep. Like, I can see why the practice eventually phased out. Mm-hmm. But, okay. Interesting. Yeah. And because Victorians love their drama and clamored for all things macabre. Right. The London Times delivered an article titled The Poisonings in Sussex on April 30th, 1849, that documented the exhumations and investigations into the deaths of three of the Gearing men. And I'm going to read you an excerpt from that article. Okay. The three graves from which the bodies had been taken were on the east side of the church and were very watery. The coffin containing the body of Richard Gearing was first brought out of the church and placed on a tombstone. The lid was then unscrewed, and on its removal, the body was found to be in an advanced state of decomposition, except in the region of the abdomen. Weird. Yeah. The effluvium was dreadful, and the body swimming in water. To remove the latter, holes were bored into the coffin. So they just, like, drain this thing in the cemetery. That's disgusting. Yep. To continue, the whole of the deceased intestines were removed and placed in jars. The coffins containing the bodies of the two sons were then brought out and opened. Okay. So that's the end of the article. Upon examination, it was found that the stomachs of all of the gearing men were preserved extremely well, considering the state of decay of the rest of their bodies. Yeah. Small pieces of, quote, white, gritty matter resembling arsenic, end quote, were also found, to the surprise of no one listening to this podcast. Right. <laughs> Everyone's screaming in their car. Mm. It's arsenic! <laughs> it's poison! Finally! God! Damn it! I've only been screaming that answer for like 20 minutes! Idiots! <laughs> At the end of the investigation, all were in agreement that it appeared as if each of the gearing men had been poisoned to death, and given the amount of arsenic present in all, that was the likely culprit. Mm-hmm. Mary quickly found herself under arrest pending a trial and remanded to Hastings in the custody of Superintendent Thompson and Police Constable Jeffrey, while three of her remaining children found themselves placed in that most wondrous of Victorian establishments, a poorhouse, specifically Great. Hastings Union Workhouse. We have toast. <laughs> Yay! And bowls of gruel. That's it. So this included Marianne, who was age 13, Andrew, age 10, and Peter, who was 7. That's really sad. And awful. They had considered putting Edwin in the poorhouse as well. But at that time, he was 16, and he already had a job. So they were like, well, since you can take care of yourself, we're not going to put you in here because, I mean, you have a living yeah. wage, quote unquote, so you don't need to... The yeah. community doesn't have to take care of you. Which, thank goodness for that. Yeah. yeah. Although it's really shitty that they couldn't have just had one of their siblings take them in. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Well, I wonder, I, I'm assuming that that practice wasn't really done. Who knows if that or, was even a thing? I don't know. Or like if. If they couldn't track them down or. I'm sure the only one they would have seen. Go ahead. They, I, I wonder if. If they couldn't, they just couldn't take on another couple well, of them. The only one that would have been living at home still would have been William, and he had three kids of his own. Mm-hmm. 
But it is strange that like they wouldn't automatically stay with William. They like they had to be moved to a poorhouse. Yeah. Who knows? The Victorian know. era sucked. <laughs> yeah, it was very strange. It was all bad. In a report put together by the coroner, he stated that quote, Mary Ann Gearing, widow, has with no fear of God, but being moved and seduced by the devil, deliberately poisoned her husband using a large quantity of white arsenic mixed with tea infused with warm water, end quote. Well, thanks for telling us how tea's made. <laughs> Big dumb dummy. <laughs> I know how to make tea. I thought it was made with mud. Tea infused with warm water. <laughs> <laughs> she served it iced. <laughs> she just mushed it in with the leaves and just fed it to him straight. She actually was a mixologist. And she was like, actually, there was like rind of an orange in it. And like... <laughs> Some lemon peel. Essence of rat poison. <laughs> <laughs> A whisper of bleach. <laughs> Elderflower. And I know that we've covered arsenic in great detail in the past. Yeah. But here's the TLDR, or too long didn't read version. A common and inexpensive cast off from the boom of the mining industry, arsenic was found in everything in the Victorian era. Candy, mm. concert tickets, preservatives, cookware, candles makeup, and the famous Paris green dye that we'll cover in a later episode. Yeah. And of course, for its intended purpose, as a rat poison. But you would, like, you would think if it's used as a poison in any capacity that you shouldn't use it commercially in other things. But these are also the people that brought you asbestos. So I yep. suppose they didn't really... They're like, look at this great thing. I don't know why I have mesothelioma. I don't even know what that is yet. All right. <laughs> well, and I mean, for the longest time, we used mercury in thermometers. Yep. So they touched it. Yeah. With bare hands. Yeah, they'd like to play with it in school. Watch, look what I can do. Well, I mean, mercury is really cool, but like, don't. Yeah. It's danger juice. It's danger juice. <laughs> no, no gel. <laughs> but it's so fun. Don't touch the danger juice. It's so shiny. <laughs> <laughs> Not only that, but the symptoms of this type of poison could easily be mistaken for and was regularly diagnosed as gastroenteritis. Mm -hmm. It was also a long con. If done too quickly, the death would be much more violent and the method would be detected much quicker. Yeah, I was impressed that she got she got it down to um, three days. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. After five, like, I'm actually kind of relieved that that happened. Yeah. Because I would rather die in three days than five. Yeah. In May, the contents of the stomachs of Richard, George, and James were sent to Mr. Alfred Taylor, professor of medical jurisprudence at Guy's Hospital in London, for analysis. On August 5th, 1849, it saw the start of Mary's trial begin in Luce, East Sussex. Luce. Okay. Luce. I think I'm saying the exact same word. I mean, they did lose, but. <laughs> <laughs> the London Patriot newspaper reported the next day that, quote, Mary Ann Gearing, a woman of masculine and forbidding appearance, aged 49, was arraigned at Lou's summer at assizes for murder, end quote. Mr. Pittman, a chemist from Hastings, was brought before the court as a witness that Mary was a regular customer who purchased arsenic on four separate occasions. Quote, two pennyworth, rather a large quantity of poison to sell over the counter, 
end quote, he was noted as saying. Mr. Pittman continued that it was an amount he, that he wouldn't have dared to sell to someone he didn't know, but because he had dealt with her so much in the past, he believed her when she told him that she needed it to deal with a bad infestation of rats. But like four times? Yeah. When one of Mary's daughters and two of her other sons were questioned about the rats, so I'm assuming the three kids that were still at home, yeah. none of them were aware of any infestations of vermin in their home that would warrant the purchase of arsenic, let alone in such large quantities. Awesome. The prosecution presented evidence brought to light by Mary's son, Alvin, that two years prior to his death, Richard Gearing deposited an inheritance of 20 pounds, or 2,350 pounds today, at the Hastings Savings Bank. At this time in the 19th century, this amount would have been the equivalent of half a year's salary for a day laborer. Wow. That's a lot. And even though her name was not on the account, if she had the savings book in her possession, she would have been able to withdraw funds from the account, no questions asked. Awesome. Which is, like, not a great strategy. Yeah. For banks. So you'd be like, yes i yes i mr so-and-so look i have the book and they'd be like okay cool yeah here's the book i don't know how he got the book it's not like robbery exists (laughs) yeah give him the money and apparently at least according to one of her sons that was the case as she was said to freely draw money out of it awesome some of the most damning evidence came from her own son benjamin who made a full recovery from his mother's poison attempt He explained to the court that his family were members of a rather unusual insurance arrangement, the Burial Friendly Society, that would provide its subscribers, quote, 10 shillings a week in the case of an illness and one shilling from each member following a family member's death. So they paid you to die? Yeah, they would give you money if you were sick to help help you get well. And if you died... I'm assuming they would give you money to help offset the burial costs. So it was just like a really weird, like a fucked up philanthropy kind of a thing? Yeah. And that just existed. That just existed. So following Richard's death, that's her husband, it was noted that Mary was entitled to five pounds, three shillings, and four pence from the Gasling Benefit Club, which would equate to 414 pounds today. Benjamin told the court that he, his two deceased brothers, and his father were all members of this club, which is why he assumed they were targeted over his other siblings. Okay, that makes sense. At first I thought it was just men, but maybe maybe it was like gentlemen were prioritized with this club too, potentially. Maybe. Or they were just of age. Yeah. So after making the conversion, 10 shillings a week would equate to about 40 pounds, or $4,800 today. So that's how much she could have made per week while her husband and her sons were sick. Which is why she wanted to do the long con. Yes. And without knowing how many members were in the society, we can still assume that it would be a large amount of money, especially if you could eke out a prolonged illness. Yeah. Members of the community of Gessling filled the courtroom to hear the increasing number of financial gains that Mary made upon the illness and death of her family members. Gentry and farmers alike were aware of the fact that Mary and Richard did not have a great marriage and could be heard arguing frequently, with Mary heard several times wishing Richard dead. Awesome. 
a member of the Royal College of Surgeons provided the final piece of evidence that sealed her fate. He brought forth medical evidence that the digestive organs that had been preserved from each of the victims following their exhumation contained high levels of arsenic, with the exception of George, who instead had large doses of mercury present. Ooh, ouch. Yeah. Danger juice. Yeah. How would you not know that that's in your food or your tea? I have no idea. Because it's such a distinctive thing. I don't know. Weird. I wonder if you poisoned him with something else first and then did it when he was like kind of out of his mind. Maybe. It also came out in the trial that Benjamin coughed up a large pill after he was removed from his home. After closer examination, it was discovered that the pill was comprised of arsenic, opium, and another unknown ingredient. So she was just doing all of the drugs. Mm-hmm. Opium to like make him pass out. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Mr. Hurst, who had volunteered to defend Mary during her trial at the behest of her daughter's pleading, denied that the motive could have been monetary, as the burial expenses alone would have depleted whatever gain she would have made in getting rid of the male members of her family. But... (laughs) Dressed in black mourning clothes and a shawl, Mary confessed to the murders, and after just ten minutes of deliberation, the jury returned with a guilty verdict with the penalty of death. Mary remained unmoved as the judgment was passed, with the method of execution being death by hanging. Yeah. Everyone's favorite. Yeah. But like kind of the only option for a long time. Mm -hmm. And like I mentioned earlier, death by poison was fairly common during Victorian England with female serial killers often committing crimes for financial gain. Mm -hmm. In fact, between 1843 and 1890, 48 other quote unquote black widows were also convicted of murder and put to death. Wow. 48? Mm-hmm. That's a lot. The morning of her execution, Mary was tended to by Reverend B. Burnett, who gave her holy sacrament and last rites. He also stayed with her until the time of her execution. On August 21st, 1849, Mary Ann Gearing was publicly hanged at 12 o'clock in Lewes Town Square in front of a crowd of three to 4,000, where she was left to hang for an hour before being cut down and buried at four o'clock at the jail cemetery. Why would they leave her for an hour just so people could see her? Maybe. I don't know. Crazy. She was 49 years old. That's really young. I just feel bad for her children. Mm-hmm. wonder what happened to them. If you do the math, she had her last child at the age of 42. Yeah. That's so late for me. For like... I, I know people are capable of it. And if you want to do it, all power to you. But nope, for me. <laughs> well, like, the risks would have been so high. I mean, they're high now. But yeah. Can you imagine how much higher they would have been in Victorian England? Yeah. Like, I'm honest to God surprised that all 10 of her children survived. Yeah. That's actually the most impressive thing. Yeah. Is that she had the ability. She had 10 children and they all lived until she killed some. Yeah, but they all survived infancy. Yeah, and then, you know, they were talking about, like, tuberculosis and stuff, too. They survived that. Mm Mm-hmm. So she must have had good genes. Mm Mm-hmm. Or her husband did. Yeah. 
So yeah. Bummer. Yeah. Shh. We're not supposed to talk about that. Do not even let those words come out of your mouth. We're not supposed to talk about that. Do not go there. Don't say anything about it. Hush now. Naughty. We just don't need to talk about this right now. Be quiet. Shh. We're not supposed to talk about that. That's really taboo. Don't talk about it. You shouldn't talk about that. Don't talk about that. You aren't supposed to talk. We can't talk about that in this house. You shouldn't talk about that. Can we talk about this? We are going to talk about this. Welcome to Taboos, a podcast that discusses taboo culture. We're your hosts, Celeste and Allie. Join us in the exploration of all things society deems as stigmas, controversial, hush-hush, cringe factor, or eyebrow-raising. From pole dancing to politics and everything in between, grab a drink and discuss with us. And as always, do you be taboos. So better news with our podcast plug. This week's plug is Taboos, which is uh, run by our friends Celeste and Allie. And they talk about the taboo topics that so many people avoid discussing, such as body positivity and depression, all with a drink or two. Awesome. Their show offers a great discussion on topics that no one really wants to talk about. And it's something I highly recommend everybody listen to. That's awesome. You know, it's funny. Taboos. I did not think of body positivity as the first thing. I was just like, feet. <laughs> <laughs> well, they talked about like, um, what are some sex work, like prostitution and yeah. things like that. So they talk about a variety of okay. um, topics. And um, yeah, I love listening to their show. They do a great job, um, you know, presenting the facts of what they talk about mm-hmm. and then having a really good discussion about it. So dismantling all the hullabaloo. Yeah. Like they do a really good job of um, shutting down a lot of the stereotypes associated with whatever they're discussing. So awesome. Yeah. And our question this week is from Ariel of the Malice podcast. And she wants to know, how did you come to the decision to start a podcast based on historical murder and crime? I think that question goes to you. (laughs) Cause I just said, okay. (laughs) I think I started playing with the idea because I subscribe to um, the Atlas Obscura email newsletter. Mm-hmm. And so they always will put in there, you know, a variety of stories or places you should visit and things like that. And I would always, I started saving a lot of the articles that I wanted to read later on the spreadsheet that would eventually become the master sheet that I use for, for, planning, for planning all of our episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, and after a while of like looking at this list, I was like, man, it'd be really fun to like talk about some of these things because, you know, I've always kind of found that sort of stuff fascinating. So mm-hmm. that's kind of where the idea came from. And it was, it kind of sucked going through, like I ended up eliminating probably fourth of them just because they were after 1900. Mm-hmm. But 
you know, the ones that are left are still really good. So absolutely. And I still have probably like three years worth of content we can go through. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to be here forever. Forever. So, yeah. What's something good you'd like to share this week? Um, Something good. I was able to exchange gifts with a friend of mine. And um, she invited me over. She was making resin art for Christmas gifts this year. And then it was just really fun. It was nice to like, cool, be able to hang out with someone for a little bit. She had, we really, we both really like whiskey. So she made these like fancy Manhattans with like these really nice cherries and like a good syrup and bitters, aromatic bitters. And it was just kind of a fun night right before Christmas. So cool. That's my something good. What about you? My something good this week is Thomas surprised me by getting me a new phone for Christmas. Wow. Nice. So what kind of phone did you get? He got me a Pixel 5. You're a Pixel person now. Mm-hmm. Welcome to the clip. <laughs> and it's so nice. So my old phone, I had a Galaxy Note 8 and I've had it for several years because I think they're on like Galaxy 10 something or other. And um, the battery wouldn't last very long, so I had to keep it in this giant brick battery case. So my phone was really heavy. Yeah. And when I first started holding my um, Pixel, I was like, it's so light. It's like I'm holding a baby bird with hollow bird bones. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> I was worried I was going to like accidentally toss it across the room. When yep, I, I was just going to say, I was going to say, did you start throwing it around, not realizing <laughs> it at first? Be free. Fly, young phone. Oh, no. <laughs> Fly, young pixel. <laughs> but yeah, I really like it. And uh, yeah, it was a pleasant surprise. Mm-hmm. I really like Google phones. This is not an ad at all. But if they, they want it to be, it can. Um, we do love and use lots of Google products. So uh, yeah, I mean, you got it. You're either with or against Skynet. That's just kind mm-hmm. of how it is. And I... I don't mind Skynet. Hi, FBI officer that listens to everything I do. Hope you hope you drank enough water today. That just reminds me of this book I read. Sorry, side note by um, <laughs> Rainbow Rowell called Attachment or Attachments, yeah. and it was a story about this IT person who had to read employee emails to make sure they were only using it for professional purposes and not for personal purposes. Oh no! So the whole premise of this book is he's like reading these conversations between two ladies and he like falls in love with one of them based off the conversations that she has and oh man it's very cute i really like rainbow roll i like her stories um i think there's only one that i read so far that i was like meh but um yeah so whenever i hear like someone like reading someone's emails or like scanning somebody's conversations i think of that book like "Ah." (laughs) (laughs) it's so cute and another thing that i'm grateful for is i had this little like recording screen kit that i had on my mm-hmm. amazon wish list my parents got me for christmas and i'm using it now for recording and i so far it seems to be working okay so we'll see nice. how the audio turns out this week awesome Let's see if it did a good job well i hope you're safe i hope you're happy i hope you're warm mm-hmm. happy new year 
Here's to surviving this dumpster fire of a year. Proud of you. I, before we start our closing, mm-hmm. I wanted to, one, highlight the fact that last week was our 30th episode, which is crazy. What? We missed it? <laughs> we missed it. I didn't think about it until afterwards. And I was like, shit, I probably should have. We should have, one, said happy holidays or something in the episode because it came out like right before Christmas. Nah. And two, I should have been like, this is episode 30. Woo, woo, and made a big deal about it. But, you this know. Is America, we react instead of. Yeah. <laughs> I'm reactive. So there's that. And two, we are on track to surpass our second highest download month and we might actually after when this episode drops beat our highest month yet as far as downloads so you guys showed up that's so cool i know (laughs) so i'm i'm very appreciative of everyone who listens and i wanted to acknowledge all of you wow we really appreciate the fact that you listen to the show that you like the show that you recommend us to your friends and Mm -hmm family and complete strangers on the internet and it's just really cool like i never thought back when we started this podcast you know since this is our last podcast for the year i never thought we'd get to episode 31 no you know what i mean like i thought it was just gonna be mom and dad and then we were gonna be like okay i guess we should stop now (laughs) and you know i never thought that we would end up meeting so many amazing other independent podcasters out there that we'd mm-hmm. be doing guest spots and other people's shows. That's so crazy. Like that other podcasters would ask to collaborate with us because they mm-hmm. want to collaborate with us. Like it's, it's crazy. And, mm-hmm. you know, I feel so blessed and humbled that you guys have stuck with us, even with our horrible audio at the beginning. Um, <laughs> Ever have. <laughs> You know, some of our hiccups that we've had, you know, a correction cubby, our correction cubby, but the two episodes where I royally screwed up pronunciation on a lot of things and ended up learning from it and started doing phonetic spellings of things. So I wouldn't do that yep. again. Oh, shout out to Jenny from It's Murder Up North because I personally DM'd her with a few names of towns and stuff for this episode to make sure I was pronouncing them properly because I totally nice. would not have pronounced them properly if I would have associated with her. <laughs> Thanks, friend. <laughs> Thanks, Jenny. <laughs> Shout out. Yeah. So that's another thing I guess I will add to my gratitude for this week or my something good this week is I am appreciative and grateful for all of you, dear listeners. That's awesome. I am too. I'm really honestly surprised and happy that this thing that um, you wanted to try during quarantine ended up being as great as it is. And I, I mean, I, I like it the most because I was I'm able to talk to you every week mm-hmm. and like see you mm-hmm. so that's kind of the best thing for me but like just the fact that other people get joy out of it um it's just it's crazy to think about and we hope you stick around mm-hmm. maybe maybe one day we can manifest you know doing a couple shows locally or something that could be cool that'd be so cool but that'd be really crazy don't want to get a big head about it no I feel like we have to Need a few milestones before we're going to get to that point. Maybe by the end of 2021, when it's safe to travel and do fun things, we'll be able to uh, manifest that. That can be our goal for the end of Absolutely. 2021. Yeah. Ready, Freddie? Yep. You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. 
We're also on Twitter at Yield Crime Pod and on Instagram at Yield Crime Podcast. You can email us at yieldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Send us whatever and we'll respond because we like responding to emails. It's super fun. A great way to support the show that is free would be to leave a five-star rating and review. Uh, it sounds really silly, and I didn't really realize myself the importance of it until I started my own podcast. But mm-hmm. it's something that independent podcasters truly treasure. And I guarantee you that every single one of them reads your review and takes what you have to say to heart, especially if it's something really nice that you say, because that's going to yep. just make their day. Yep. In addition to helping us get discovered by other people who enjoy listening to podcasts. So mm-hmm. it's uh, it serves a dual purpose. Absolutely. If you are able to and would like to support us financially, you can do so on Buy Me a Coffee and give us a one-time donation. Or you can support us on a monthly basis by becoming a patron on our Patreon. We have tons of bonus content right now where we release our episodes ad-free early so you can listen to them the day before they go live. We also include video outtakes that don't make it into the show and include links to some of the other shows where we have been guests. So you can find all that in one easy spot. We plan to have a lot more bonus content in 2021, but we'll have to work on that. Yep. So it's a good time to join. That's what I'm saying right now. It's a good time (laughs) to jump on Team Trampoline. I said it that time. Yeah, Team Trampoline. I said it. Oh, my God. That could be our live show. It's just on a trampoline. Uh, it'd be so terrible. <laughs> the audio worst. would be like the worst quality. We'd be we, out of breath. We just wear wireless like gaming <gasps> headphones. <Wow. laughs> we're just like right? jumping and tumbling around. There's a bunch of wind noise. Yeah. All of our all of our shows are at like sky zones. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, it'd be amazing. And last but not least, you can uh, also support the show by purchasing some merch from our Public store. I know I keep saying it, but lots of fun new things are coming. They will be arriving. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping to have mm-hmm. a couple new designs rolled out in January. And my goal is to have an, at least one new design each month. So right now, there is a poll on Twitter asking if you would rather be known as an old timer or an old crimer. And depending on what the winning uh, answer is, there will be an up, either an updated or a completely new merch design. Nice. Yes. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Maddie. And we'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime.